Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for not parent expected or non-paternal event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. Welcome to episode 149. Since it is the start of a new year, I'd like to take this moment and ask you to consider leaving a review or rating for this podcast. I started this podcast three and a half years ago when I was in the midst of a serious grieving process after finding out I was, in fact, an NPE. The only thing that made me feel better was listening to others going through the same thing as me. I put together this podcast because I wanted to hear others talk about their experience with misattributed parentage. Because it's a podcast, you can't see me, but I am usually nodding along most of the time. And this has turned into my community of nodding heads. I don't vet the stories beforehand. I don't coach anyone. I rarely ask questions unless they prefer a dialogue to a monologue. And I am very grateful for all the brave souls who come on and share what has happened to them. The holiday DNA kits are being sent in and DNA results will start coming out in the thousands or more in the next four to six weeks, which is also known as sibling season. Therefore, this podcast might be a necessary resource for confused people who find a DNA surprise in their results. Rating and leaving a review for this podcast will help this collection of stories that I've recorded in the NPE Stories podcast to show up more easily in search engines for people who are scouring the internet when they are looking for answers. So thanks for listening to my request. And now it's time to listen to our NPE story today. And today I am speaking with Leanne. Hi, Leanne. Hi, Lily. I'm so happy to be here and sharing my story and, um, among all of the others that have come on and shared, because I think it's important to um, help people feel like they're less alone. Exactly. I get so much out of listening to it, I think more than anyone. So, so thank you. And if, if you're ready and if you understand the format of this podcast, feel free to start with your, your family of origin and take it from there. Okay, sounds good. So um, I grew up um, just with my mom and dad uh, my whole life and two older sisters. And, and for the purposes of this podcast, just to clarify my dad, I will refer to um, the man who raised me as my dad. He will be always be my dad. So when I say my dad, that's who I'm referring to. And then when I am referring to my biological father, that's what I'll call him. 
Um, so just for clarification. <laughs> yeah, I get um, it. So I grew up with my mom and dad and two older sisters. Um, and my, my older sisters were um, 10 and a half and eight years older than me. So there was quite a big um, aged gap. Um, much of the time, though, um, it was just me at home because my oldest sister left for college when I was seven. And then my middle sister, um, when I was in junior high, moved away um, to Texas to do her thing. And so when I was early junior high, um, I was very much, it was very much like I was an only child. Um, but, you know, I do have um, early childhood memories of, you know, my mom taking me to dance lessons and swim lessons and gymnastics. She was involved in Girl Scouts, um, you know, when I was younger. And so um, I do have those types of memories, early childhood. And then when I got into junior high, um, both of my parents um, started having serious health issues. So my mom was diagnosed with MS um, and then she was diagnosed with breast cancer around the same time. And then um, my dad had to have um, a heart valve replaced and then ultimately had a heart transplant in 1989. Um, mm -hmm. And he actually survived um, a month shy of 16 years with a new heart. They were both going through a lot of um, their own health issues back then. And um, so there was a very different, you know, juxtapose of my early childhood memories versus junior high on. Um, I did have a very close connection with my dad my whole life. You know, I've always um, referred to, I always called my dad my hero. Um, you know, I just always have. There's, you know, in the way that he um, handled everything that he dealt with, you know, I had there was always this really strong connection that we had with each other. Um, you know, a couple memories that I have with him being in the hospital, going through um, his health crises. Um, one time he was on a ventilator waiting for his heart and it was my birthday and he was, um, they were lightening his sedation, but he was still intubated and he knew it was my birthday. Yeah. And, um, I could tell by the way he was looking at me that he was telling me happy birthday. And then once the tube got out, that was confirmed, <laughs> you know? So, and then that happened again, another time with my birthday where he was in the hospital and he was, you know, it's just this connection that we always had. Um, now with my mom, it was, you know, into my teenage years, it turned into a very contentious relationship. I would say probably um, I had to really raise myself from the time I was probably 14, 13, 14, until I was about 18, 19 years old while they were going through their health issues, you know, and looking back and all the healing I've done on my and work I've done on myself, I think about those times and think about how nobody ever asked me if I was okay. You know, everybody was dealing with their own things. And, and I understand, I understand it, that, that they were, they were doing the best they could, you know, but I still think back on, on that, uh, you know, and, and I was never asked if I was okay. And I just had to 
continue on with school and, you know, life as a teenager on my own. And then um, at one point, um, I was at a point in my life where I was, you know, with a boyfriend that my mom didn't like. And I had found out he cheated on me. Now, mind you, of course, I'm 19 years old and we all make these mistakes by getting back together with the boyfriend who cheats on you, right? And my mom mm-hmm. didn't like that. So she kicked me out of the house. Oh, yeah. Now, um, yeah, so that was that was sort of how our relationship went. Um, and so it was very different than the, my relationship with my dad. Um, and so a few months after I was kicked out of the house, I did go to college. So I left to go to college. Um, and um, so let me um pause here for a second and just kind of talk about the resemblance, the resemblance in my family. And that, you know, it's the same thing that you hear in these stories where, you know, everybody in my family had blue eyes and lighter hair, except for me. You know, I have dark curly hair and hazel eyes. (laughs) And, um, you know, when I look back at pictures, when my mom was pregnant with me, her hair was darker, um, but not as dark as mine. Um, but yeah, they all have blue eyes. Um, now there was an aunt on my dad's side, um, who I was always told that I resembled. Um, so there was always, you know, that story in my family too, that whenever I asked who I looked like, I was always told I looked like this aunt. Um, so yeah, so those resemblances, are the non-resemblances, I should say, are there in my family too, you know? So, you know, I go to college and, um, you know, I go through all my classes and, you know, um, I graduate in um, 96 and I stayed there for a couple years to wean myself away from the college life, lived with a roommate that was still in school and, while I was there is when um, I started having seizures. Um, oh. and, I, and I bring that up because I just think about what my mom must have been thinking, right? About she's having seizures. What, who is this related to kind of the thoughts? I started having seizures. And so then when my roommate from college was moving back home, I, I didn't feel comfortable um, living on my own. So that's when I, um, moved in with my oldest sister. So it's 1998. I'm living with my oldest sister. We're sitting at the dining room table, having a conversation. And she says, well, when mom and dad were divorced before you were born, and I don't even remember what she said after that, (laughs) because I cut her off and I'm like, wait, what did she just say? And she said, you didn't know. And I said, no. So she's telling me that my mom and dad were divorced before I was born and they were divorced for three years. Oh my. And up until this point, I'm thinking my mom and dad have been married for, you know, 30 years or whatever it was at the time. And, um, yeah, so she told me a little of what she could remember because she was younger at the time. You know, she was um, seven when they got divorced. So my sisters were seven and five. Um, she remembered a man that my mom dated for a couple years, for the first couple years that they were divorced. Um, 
she remembers just before my mom and dad getting back together, my sisters were dropped off in Florida at my aunt's house because my cousins were about their age. So my mom and dad dropped them off in Florida to spend the summer with my cousins. And then when they picked them up, they were back together and moved to a different place. And uh, so they get, you know, get picked up and they, you know, are moving into a different house, a different school, different friends. And all of a sudden they're having another baby. Now my mom, um, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So this is all I know. Um, this is all I know at this point um, in that they've been divorced for three years. And from then on, I just started asking myself more so questions around the circumstances of my conception. And I'm just thinking in my head, not asking anybody out loud. You know, I wondered if my mom and dad got pregnant with me first and then got back together or got back together and then got pregnant right away. That's really, you know, the questions I was asking myself. Um, you know, and I, I, I did have little conversations with like my middle sister and an aunt, but nobody really said much or knew anything. Um, and then in 2005, um, my dad passed away. Um, and so, he, like I said, he survived a month shy of 16 years with his heart. And so after he passed away is when I really started asking more questions, elaborating to myself a little bit more on the details, I think, and asking out loud more questions to family members. And of course, then after my dad passes away, you hear about conversations that occurred, you know, different things that maybe people talked about or people wondered or, um, you know, so then I am starting to think that I'm a family secret. You know, everybody was talking about it. Everybody wondered. Um, so of course, you know, that feeling starts sneak, you know, sneaking in around that time. So a couple years goes by and 2007 is when I'm on the phone with my middle sister and we're having, you know, asking her again, we're just talking out loud, having a conversation about, you know, could he be, could he not be? And she says to me, well, now that dad has been gone for a couple of years, I guess I can tell you how I feel about the situation. And I said, what do you mean when, about how do you feel about what situation? <laughs> and she said, well, back when I was in um, going to the junior college, you know, near where, where we grew up, you know, we were um, learning about the Putnam Square in biology you know, learning about the big B, little B, dominant recessive genes. And I went up to the teacher after class and said, so what you're telling me is two blue-eyed parents can only have a blue-eyed child. And he said, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. So then she held that in for 20 years and didn't say anything to anybody until she was talking to me. 
Um, and she, she did mention something to um, her now husband, but she never talked about it to anybody else. Um, so the funny thing is, is I went through the same biology classes, the same, you know, it didn't even click with me, <laughs> you know, learning about that. It never, ever clicked with me. So, um, you know, we were talking about um, what we could do to figure it out. We were Googling, you know, um, paternity eye percentages. Now, um, in doing research nowadays, you see that it is possible, although minimal, it is possible for two blue-eyed parents to have, um, you know, a, a child with a different colored eyes other than blue. Um, the percentages is small, but it there now with advanced research and stuff happening with um, DNA, they are finding that it is possible. But that back then, you know, with the Putnam Square, that's what they teach. Um, and so we were researching. Um, this was also back prior to. Um, commercial DNA tests. Um, so we were Googling full sibling DNA tests that you could get online. And back then they were $500 to do a full sibling DNA test online and, um, you know, ordering it and sending it in. Um, and so she was supportive and she's like, whatever you want to do, I'll split the, you know, I'll split the $500 with you. I'll help you do it. Um, you know, so that's the kind of discussion we were having. And at the time, um, my mom was in early stage, early stages of dementia, um, maybe early to moderate at the time, but um, she would stay at, she was still living at home. And then when my sister would be home, um, back home from work, she was a flight attendant. So my sister would um, have my mom come stay at her house when she wasn't working. And so, about um, a couple, well, maybe a couple days to a week after having this conversation with me, she says to me that my mom is going to be staying at her house for a couple days and asked me if she should have a conversation with her. So I said, well, we might as well see if she admits anything before we go and spend $500. Um, so at this point, I'm in, you know, I, ha I have two jobs. I'm, I'm working at night teaching classes and um, she calls me back within an hour or so um, after asking if she should have a conversation with my mom. She called me back and she said, I brought it up to her the same way I brought it up to you with the biology story and said, is it possible that dad is not Leanne's biological father? And she said, I know he's not just like that. And my sister said, are you sure? And she said, I'm a hundred percent sure. So, you know, at that point, I think with all that had been going on in my mind, questions I had, conclusions that maybe I had come to on my own, I think I was actually more surprised that she so readily admitted it than the fact that, that it was actually true by that point. With this knowledge, this just being told this, I literally had to hang up the phone with my sister and go teach a class. 
So I, I look back on that time and still don't know how I did it. I, it's a class of adults, so it wasn't, you know, a class of, of children or anything, but it was, you know, I was so just out of my own body that I don't know how I did it. And I literally walked in there and told them what I just found out and then taught the class. (laughs) So it was just, you know, I, yeah, it was, it was very strange. I looking back on it on how I was feeling and how I got through that. But on my way home, I called my mom and um, she was very forthcoming in anything that I asked, which I feel super, super lucky to have um, received the answers that I did get from her, although they weren't all the answers um, I needed at the time. But um, she wasn't trying, I didn't feel like she was trying to be deceitful or trying to hide. She wasn't trying to deny anything. You know, I hadn't done the DNA where she could come say, you know, I don't believe in that, you know? So, um, I feel lucky with how she, um, answered my questions when I hear other people's stories. Um, but she, um, remembered that he had dark curly hair and darker eyes. She remembered that he was from the Philadelphia area and would fly into the Chicago area office where she worked because he worked for the same company. She remembered that he was Jewish and that he was married with at least one other daughter, but she couldn't remember a name. Mm. And um, I think in, in my mind and processing all of this, I feel like I, I think that she definitely blocked it out. Right. I, mm. you know, she never mentioned his name to anybody because he was married And she said that she dated, quote unquote, dated him for six months. Um, And she never would have spoken to anybody about him, given the situation. And then after she got back together with my dad, never said his name again, I'm sure, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, I and then on top of, you know, put that with the dementia, I just I feel like she very well could have blocked it out. Um, I didn't. Cause I didn't, why would she not tell me that after she just told me everything else? You know, she told me how, um, she, she found out she was pregnant and she immediately, um, left her job and got back together with my dad. Didn't tell my biological father that she was pregnant. So the next time he came back into the office, she was gone. Um, and she didn't tell my dad that she was pregnant for a couple weeks, you know? So when she said that, I said, well, dad wasn't stupid. He was a smart man. You know, didn't he go to the doctor's appointments with you and do the math, (laughs) you know? And she said, well, yeah, he did go to all the appointments with me, but you have to remember that back then the fathers didn't go in the rooms with the mothers, So that told me that she changed my due date in like, because she, she did a a baby book. I always had, you know, had my access to my baby book. I can see it. And the due date in my baby book said March 1st. 
and I was born February 15th. Mm. So there's the two weeks. <laughs> yeah. So, so the following years um, after that were, you know, and still prior to DNA testing, you know, I was going through therapy for other reasons at the time that I found this out. And, you know, I think back on um, when I told my therapist what I had just found out, I was sort of taken back, I guess, on how she didn't, I guess she didn't respond, you know, you know, people in our shoes know this, right? They, a lot of therapists don't respond in the, the true depth of the way that you need them to. And at that point, looking back, I don't even think I realized myself the true depth of trauma that this caused and even what I did need, you know? So, um, I did, you know, still continue on, um, but with some therapy, but it just wasn't necessarily for this reason. Um, didn't really help me much for this particular reason, but I did spend, you know, the following years sorting through memories, things start clicking, you start getting things that slap you in the face that you're just like, oh my gosh, right? So I I remember um, there there was a time when I remember jumping up on my dad's lap and asking him if I was a mistake. Now I remember the thought process in my mind, I was thinking about the age difference between me and my two sisters and why that was why I asked him that his response was, no, honey, you were a surprise. But I, you know, I just, that was one thing that I remembered. And then there was another question I remembered that came back to me. I was probably around six or seven where I asked my mom if dad was my dad. And I think that that stemmed from all the teasing my middle sister did because of course there was the as many people say, uh, you're, you were adopted, you're the milkman's kid, you know, there was that teasing. But I never had the thought of I don't belong, or I didn't feel like I was the black sheep of the family or anything like that. So, but I do remember asking those questions without having that feeling, which is interesting to me. Um, haven't pinpointed what that's about, but that's interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Another memory that completely slapped me in the face was when I was in college learning about the Putnam Square. (laughs) Mm. And I was in a full um, lecture hall of people in my anatomy and physiology two class. And the the professor said, so this means that two blue-eyed parents can only have a blue-eyed child. And I literally raised my hand in front of the class. <laughs> and I said, well, I know that's not true because both of my parents have blue eyes and I don't. And he looked at me and said, you might want to talk to somebody about that. Oh. And just went on with the lecture. <laughs> and I... So this is in college, right? Before I moved in with my sister and that conversation came up. And so I walked out of that class 
thinking that he didn't know what he was talking about. Oh, this professor doesn't know what he's talking about. I, he's totally wrong. Whatever. You know? <laughs> so, and it wasn't, I don't even know how long it was after I found this out that it, that I just couldn't like that. Literally it was a slap in the face when I remembered that. Um, so 2017, um, I decide to do 23 and me. I feel like my, at that point, it was just like my urge to know answers was stronger than any fear that I had regarding the security or privacy concerns related to commercial DNA testing. Mm. Um, you know, I work in healthcare, um, you know, I, privacy, you know, privacy of healthcare, um, information is something I'm, is in my realm. And so, and then, you know, just your security online. And so I was always worried about that. And I just got to the point where my urge to know answers was stronger. And I wanted to do 23andMe first because, um, that had the health component to it. And knowing that, um, I was most likely Jewish, uh, I knew that that could potentially um, it have some other health concerns that I might want to know about. So I did 23andMe and there were no significant matches, no significant close matches that were identified for that. Um, it was early 2018 when I got the um, results of 23andMe. The health issues were fine. Um, I was you know, with the BRCA gene, everything was okay. I mean, I know that that's, you know, very minimal to what um, a genetic counselor does, but that was still, um, with my mom's history, that was still good news to me. Um, but there was the confirmation that I was 50% Jewish. I was Ashkenazi Jewish. Hmm. So that alone increases my um, breast health concern, being Ashkenazi Jewish um, increases your, um, breast health risk. Um, not sure if everybody knows that, but it does. Um, <laughs> um, so that was a concern then for me at that point. So then I decided to do, um, to, to widen my net after I sat with the fact that there weren't any close relatives and I sat with my new information I decided to widen my net in the database and do ancestry. So I asked for um, ancestry for Christmas and um, I got, I did the results or I did the test right away and I got the results and it was like five o'clock in the morning and I was sitting on the couch when I opened it up. And there was a close relative to first cousin match. I'm sitting there at five in the morning by myself. I can't scream. I can't jump up and down. I can't like freak out because people are sleeping. I can't call anybody because people are sleeping. So I'm like, I have, I don't know what to do. I, you know, just, so, um, and I just am diving deeper to see um, what this could mean. There wasn't a, a clear name attached to it. Um, so uh, the, on April 5th of 2019, I decided to send this close family relative um, a message through Ancestry. 
and I included some of the information that I knew and, and I didn't provide all of the information that I knew, but I wanted to give specific enough information that they could kind of pinpoint maybe which relative this could be. And, um, and I was trying to be as sensitive as possible, um, but also wanting them to know that this isn't like a scam or anything. So he responded the next day asking some clarifying questions and we went back and forth a little bit, but it wasn't too long before he said, well, Leanne, it looks like I'm your older brother. So I found a half brother on Ancestry and he did provide me some basic information. He, he told me that, um, that his mom and dad were still married after all these years. And he also told me that there was um, a half sister, well, his full sister, but a half sister to me. Um, but he wasn't comfortable at that point um, giving me a name until he talked to his dad, which I understood. So um, we continued to communicate a little bit. Um, but it took, he, his, his dad was on vacation and then on the heels of his dad coming back, he was going to be leaving town, my half brother. And so it actually took a few weeks for him to have the conversation with his dad, which I was dying in anxiety. I was carrying around my journal, pulling it out to brain dump all the time. Like I was just, you know freaking out with all of these, all the stuff just swirling around in my head and imagining, you know, how the conversation could go. And so he did um, finally send me a, a, a response via Ancestry saying that he was very disappointed to say that his father didn't want to pursue it at all. Mm. Which honestly, I was... Um, Expecting that reaction, knowing that he was still married. Um, so I, you know, I, I did have, obviously I was disappointed and there was a ping of hurt, but it was a response that I was expecting. So um, I had luckily sort of gotten myself into a mindset where I was okay either way, how, how it would go. So at that point, you know, he was still willing to have, um, conversate, you know, uh, communicate, he said he was still willing to communicate with me at that time. Um, and he was willing to have a phone conversation with me. So in the meantime, I'm doing some more digging on ancestry and, um, I found, um, the possible, his possible last name and, um, went into Facebook and found my half brother on Facebook which led me to finding the picture of my biological father. And I remember seeing the picture for the first time and just having my breath being taken away by seeing my eyes for the very first time in somebody else. And I wasn't expecting that because I guess I didn't really think about how much my eyes don't look like anybody on the maternal side. <laughs> um, so I, you know, that, that took my breath away. Um, so, you know, I was 
you know, screenshotting everything and saving the pictures that I was finding and found pictures of the half sister and, um, you know, and waiting for the phone conversation to happen, you know, unfortunately I still felt a little put off with that, you know, as far as the half brother was concerned with the phone conversation, because I think that he was just at that point in a, in the frame of mind to, um, protect his dad, given his dad's response. Um, because we would make plans to have a conversation and then something would come up and we'd have to reschedule and then we'd reschedule and then something else would come up. And then he had a road trip that he was going on. And so we couldn't do it for another, however many weeks. And then finally he said, I'm available for a couple hours if you want to do it now. So, (laughs) okay. You know, it's just, it was so urgent for me and I just couldn't understand why it wasn't as urgent for him. I just couldn't grasp that, you know? So, um, that was a little disappointment that I felt there too. Um, but so he told me how the conversation went and basically, um, brought it up to his dad in asking if he remembered my mom and he said, oh yeah, I remember her. And then he said, well, dad, you have another daughter. And silence. And then he changed the subject. So then after talking about other topics, he brought the conversation back to me. And he said, you know, asked him what he wanted to do. And his dad just said, I just want to leave it alone. So, like I said, I was prepared for that, but what I wasn't prepared for that happened during this phone call conversation was for for them to ask me to keep it a secret from my half-sister because my whole goal in this journey, well, at least to keep it a secret until the parents were no longer around anyway, but my whole goal in this journey was to just no longer be the secret. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I got my mindset wrapped around, you know, I'm okay. You know, I had the best dad in the world. I, I don't need another father. I'm not looking for a father replacement. If there's connections with siblings, that's just a bonus. I just no longer wanted to be the secret. Felt like a family secret longer than I knew I was obviously. And then Now I'm being, and you know, now I'm finally finding answers and I'm telling people and now I'm being asked to keep being, you know, keep the secret again. And so that, you know, was something I had to sit on. Um, I was disappointed with that. And um, finally, you know, in journaling, just doing a lot of work on myself, I just, you know, kind of came to the decision that this is my journey. This is my truth. I deserve to tell my story in a way that serves me. And so um, I did make the decision that I would reach out to my half sister, but I didn't reach out to her at the same time that I made that decision because I also knew that I needed to be in the mindset where I had to be okay for more rejection. Mm -hmm. So I had to kind of get my mindset 
in that place again and be okay if she wasn't, if she was going to have the same response. Because if she didn't have the same response, then it would just be a bonus and um, then it would be even better. But I just, I didn't want to be disappointed again. So I sat on that for a couple years. So um, I did, um, again, you know, just a lot of um, meditating, you know, joining different group discussions, support, you know, the support groups on Facebook for the NPEs, different spiritual support groups. Um, I'm in a a great discussion group that, um, you know, for that's like my weekly therapy, but, um, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so I just, I think I'm at, I've kind of been able to just recently put it into words. I think, um, that after all these years, it's kind of come to me where it's like finding this information out is when you do the, your foundation just crumbles, right? So you have to put the puzzle pieces of your foundation back together without having the picture to know what it looks like. And that's what it felt to me. You know, I didn't know really who I was, you know, does this piece fit here? Does this piece fit here? No, I don't like that piece, you know, (laughs) just trying. And so um, for me, um, that's how this journey has felt. And so in September um, of 2021, I finally got to the place where I felt like I had a really great support system around me. And I had my mindset in a good place where I would be okay if it wasn't a good outcome again. Um, So I got the nerve up to send her a Facebook message explaining who I was, um, named the half-brother so she didn't think I was some crazy person, (laughs) told her um, a few bits and pieces. She didn't respond right away because we're not friends on Facebook, right? So... um, it took her a few days to actually see um, the message, but I'm a big numbers person. So I sent her the message on 9-1 and she responded on 9-11. And ones mm. are a big number for me. So I just thought that was interesting. Mm. Um, but yeah, so she um, responded and she was obviously shocked um, and, and said, you know, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, I'm shocked. You know, she reassured me that she believed that I was telling the truth, um, but that she needed some time, but yay, I have a sister, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was a very different um, response from her. So I was very happy with that and told her I was an open book with whatever questions she had for me. If I knew the answers, I would tell her, Um, you know, it took her a few days to come, you know, to come back to me and start asking questions. Um, but you know, but she did, and we compared pictures, um, figured out that we drive the same exact car. (laughs) Um, so there's, you know, there's a lot of resemblance with us from when we were younger. There's resemblance with, um, you know, my, younger pictures with her younger daughter pictures. So 
it's just kind of cool to see that. Um, and then, you know, in communication for a couple months, um, she's telling me that her and her husband are planning a long weekend. Um, they live in New Jersey. And so they were going to plan a long weekend and drive down to Washington, DC and, um, ended up inviting my boyfriend and myself to meet them out there. (laughs) So I was just so excited, um, that they were open to open, I mean, open to meet me was like more than I could even ask for, you know? Mm. And, um, unfortunately my boyfriend, um, wasn't able to join me because of work, but I wasn't going to miss the chance. And so I flew out by myself. Um, and I spent the weekend touring DC and, um, we just were learning about each other and, and, you know, I could tell that she still had walls up and, and that she was, you know, not still trying to, um, you know, hold back some things, I think. Um, but overall the experience with her and her husband was so much different than, um, the experience when I reached out to my half brother and, um, you know, they were just so generous during the trip and they, they paid for everything, (laughs) including the hotel room. I just had to pay for my plane ticket. So I kind of feel like they were sort of making up for some things that, you know, sort of the previous responses. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, so they, um, had to drive, start driving back home, um, way before I had to get back to the airport. So they just dropped me off near, um, where I could walk back to the Lincoln Memorial and the reflection pool and walked around there and sat there and just literally just reflected in awe at how my weekend, what went and what just happened. (laughs) Um, I just couldn't believe that this was for me, it was a culmination of at the time, 14 years and maybe at that point, a starting a new chapter for her. I knew it was still so new and all still overwhelming. So that was also in the forefront of my mind that we were at very different places in our journey. So now Um, It's been a little over a year since we've met. I'm still in communication with her minimally and still pretty superficially, um, but still in communication. Um, I don't, I have, I don't have communication with the half brother anymore. I just, I feel like he used to work with his dad uh, way back. And so knowing that his dad traveled a lot for work, I'm, I'm sure he knows a lot of his dad's secrets (laughs) and I'm sure he's protecting his dad and those secrets. I'm sure that he's protecting his sister. I'm sure he's protecting his mom. Um, so, um, there's, there's that with the half brother. I understand it's very complicated. You know, I, um, like I said, I keep in mind that everybody's in a very different place in their journey. And I have very much tried to keep reminding myself that it's not personal, right? 
even though it is me and it's about me, their response to me is not personal. Hmm. Um, so that's sort of what I try to remind myself of a lot. Um, so currently, um, I've like the, the work I'm really trying to do now is, you know, I'm focusing in on, I'm not in therapy. I haven't been in therapy anymore for a while. I got to a point where I felt like that therapist, I was outgrowing her after so many years. Um, and I was also in a different place in my life where I was in just, you know, in a new relationship with my boyfriend. So I was, I was happier too. And, and in the things that I wanted to work on now in relationship to this, um, you know, to the NPE, you know, it's very difficult to find a therapist that um, is well-versed in this. So what I've personally been trying to focus on along with, you know, putting my pieces of a foundation back together is doing inner child work Mm -hmm. um, and um, ancestral trauma. Yeah. You know, doing a lot of that work for myself. Um, Ancestral trauma specifically because that's with the Jewish um, level to it now, that's a whole other thing, you know, So um, that's the work I'm doing now and something that I'm very excited about that's very, very new for me, like literally a couple days ago, (laughs) I um, signed up to do the um, certified trauma specialist program. Mm. And then I want to do the focus program on the NPEs. And what's that through? Um, that's through the, um, have you ever heard, have you, uh, the um, I, IAOTRC is the organization. I cannot remember the acronyms. I'm looking at the thing, uh, my folder right now, but um, it's um, a program that's talked about in the NPE groups. Um, mm. So if you search, um, certified trauma specialist, I bet something might come up. I just happened to be on a zoom where they talked about it and felt like this is exactly what I need right now. And exactly what I was looking for at this point in my own healing, you know, I'm 15 years out now from when I found out. And so I feel like I'm ready to help people to, continue my own healing with this. Um, so I, yeah, so I just signed up to do that and it starts, um, I believe at the end of January. Um, but so there's a track for, to become a certified trauma specialist. And then there is a specific, that's um, 10 weeks, I believe. And then there's a specific 15 week track focused on NPEs. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So, um, you know, what I think, you know, my vision for that for myself, you know, there are, you know, different things I think that you can do with it. There's another track that you can take to become a coach. Um, But I feel like what I might want to do with it is public speaking, um, you know, outside of helping other NPEs get more into public speaking with this and also physician education. 
because in, in working in the healthcare field and also just being a patient, <laughs> um, I know that just as much, just as important as it is for therapists to get education on it, on this topic, it's also important for physicians to have education on this and knowing the type of sensitivity that they should be approaching their patients with when they come to them with this. It -hmm. shouldn't be a response of, oh, that's okay. We can just erase your history Hmm. because that's just (laughs) re-traumatizing. And we know this, but I don't, I don't know how many doctors out there know this. I was lucky enough to not have a physician that had that response, but seeing so many people in the Facebook group saying that they've had, are having these responses. It just breaks my heart, you know, because it should not be that way. They should be asking you, are you okay? Do you need to talk to somebody? How are Mm -hmm. you feeling? Like it's that they need to understand that it is a trauma. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's a focus um, that I'm like, it's brand new for me. I'm very excited about it. So I think a couple big realizations that I had throughout this whole journey for myself was the first one was how much of a hero my dad truly was to me in my life. (laughs) You know, always called him my hero, but I never realized how much of a hero he actually was. And, um, raising me without question. And, and I know, I know the kind of man he was, and I know deep down that he knew and that he, he was very non-confrontational. Um, and so I know that he just knew and he had the love of his life back. He had his family back together and he was going to raise me without question because that's the kind of man that he was, you know? Um, and I, I just, I still feel him around me all the time. Um, so that connection is still very, very strong, which I'm thankful for. Um, my mom, a big connection I think I made was back to when she kicked me out of the house when I was 19. I feel like that was her not being able to face her own demons with me getting back together with a boyfriend who cheated on me, whether that sub was subconscious or, or, you know, conscious decision or subconscious decision. I feel like that's where that was coming from. So that helped me heal that part of what happened in my teenage years. I had some healing there with that because there was never an apology from her for that. Even when I had the conversation with her asking for an apology. She couldn't apologize. So I had some healing with that, which was good. Um, I do feel, like I said, I do feel lucky that I got as much truth out of her, out of her as I could while she could remember. Um, and I'm proud of myself that I've never had, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say proud of myself because somebody who does have anger, it's not, they shouldn't not feel proud, but I've never had anger with my mom throughout this whole journey because I guess I don't know if I wouldn't make the same decisions in her, if I was in her shoes back then. Um, And I feel like she made the right decision in getting back together with my dad. Um, So I guess um, I've never, 
I've never felt that anger. Um, and I think that also it's helped that she did tell me the truth. I, and I'm thankful that I didn't know when my dad was alive because I don't know if either one of us could look at each other in the eyes. I mean, we'd have to, but it would be painful, you know? Um, so, you know, the timing of it and how it came out, I feel like, you know, I was 35 years old when I found out and I feel like the timing of it was meant to be for me in the way it came out. Um, so I had, you know, I'm okay, um, you know, with the timing of that. So I couldn't be angry with her for not telling me sooner. So those are some, those are some things that I've had to process throughout the years and, and um, come to some realizations on. And so my mom did end up passing away this year in July. Um, so, you know, with her passing, it was, um, a different level, uh, a different depth in the grief process with this story too, that I've experienced. So, um, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm still, you know, we're, I'm still moving through it. I know there's a lot of people that are just now finding out, or it's just been a couple years or a few years. Um, but it's, it's, it's a journey. <laughs> mm. It's a journey, but I, you know, everything that you feel is valid. Everything that you feel is valid and you shouldn't allow anybody to tell you that you shouldn't feel a certain way about the situation, you know, especially if they're, they've never gone through it. Um, you know, the, the trigger statements are, out there for all of us, you know, you're still the same person. Yeah, I am. But apparently I never really knew who that was. Mm -hmm. You know, um, your dad is still your dad. Yes, he is. But, you know, so, you know, when people say these kinds of things to me, I try to, um, I try to take it as an educational opportunity where I'll kind of just, instead of reacting to that statement, I will take a step back and kind of respond with telling that, letting them know that those types of statements, because in my mind for me, and I don't know if this is how you feel too, but in the way I feel with those statements is the same visceral reaction or the same visceral response as if when somebody loose loses a loved one too soon and hears at least they're in a better place. Mm, yep. It's like the same visceral response. And um, so I try to, you know, take these little opportunities and make them educational as much as I can. Um, but yeah. So that's where, that's where I'm at now. <laughs> Leanne, I can't wait until you're done with your certification process. You're going to be an amazing um, coach or certified um, recovery specialist, uh, trauma, <laughs> trauma recovery specialist. Yeah. That's what it's called. Yeah. Certified trauma specialist would be the first level. Yeah. I just pulled up the website. It looks like a, Yeah. 
looks like a such a necessary program for um, for our NPE community. So thank you for signing up for that. And I can't wait till you are through that program. I'd love to hear more about it. Oh, yeah, I'm excited for it, too. And I will definitely keep in touch. <laughs> I just, along with nodding along, mostly I was like just getting very, I felt very calm and validated listening to you today, because I was just like, yep, yep. Yeah. <laughs> you explained very well um, what you went through in, in all the in all the phases, I just really felt a lot of similarities with your story. Oh, thank you, because I feel that a lot with a lot of the stories that others have told on your podcast. And it's just a special connection that we all have with each other, right? Our, diff- our, our stories yeah. are all different, but the feelings are very, very, very similar. <laughs> yes. And uh, instead of people trying to contact me to get to you, um, you are willing to be contacted, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Okay. So if people wanted to get in touch with you, how could they do that? So they can email me at gotheart89 at gmail.com. So G-O-T-H-E-A-R-T 89 at gmail. And just um, in case it's it's hard to tell which letter I'm saying. My dad got his heart transplant in 1989. So that's what it stands for. <laughs> you know, when I was listening to your story, you know, uh-huh. like 45 minutes ago, I and you said about your dad having this heart trans heart for 16 years and he got it in 89. I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's uh-huh. the significance of her email address. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. Well, Leanne, I'm. I'm so grateful I got to listen to you today. Thank you for waiting uh, a year, 10 months or so. And um, I just thoroughly appreciate being able to record your story today. Thank you so much for having me, Lily. These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us.